save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Love and Abuse is my other podcast all about relationships. Yes, I talk about relationships on this show too, but I get into the nitty gritty of difficult relationships over there. Anything from minor arguments to full on emotional abuse or worse. If you have any challenges in a relationship that you're in, whether it's with a friend, family, or partner, head over to loveandabuse.com. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you learn to deal with difficult people and tackle life's challenges without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. You'd think I'd be energized after almost a month of uh, or three weeks of vacation, but <laughs> I am actually a, a low energy because um, of several reasons, but one of them is I started a CPAP regiment where I use a CPAP machine every night because apparently I haven't been getting sleep for the past uh, 35, 40 years. So I'm told. So that's one of the things that happens when you go through life and you figure out uh, something's wrong, something needs improving in your life or changing. And I think that's a lesson in life in general. Just kind of pay attention to what might need changing in your life and then follow that path and see where you get. But I'm going to move on from that subject and go into the subject of this episode. It uh, comes from an email from somebody who said, Hey, Paul, I recently discovered you and your podcast and they're clarifying uh, or they're a clarifying tonic for me. I've been married about two decades to someone who I've been slow to discover doesn't think rules of any kind apply to him. And he pulls his head in like a turtle when I get mad and refuses to have a meaningful discussion. He just waits for the storm to pass. I love him, but I'm not certain he has a very high uh, emotional intelligence. How does that correlate with other kinds of intelligence? He was turned loose as a kid and had virtually no boundaries, and this is how he acts now. There's more to it than that, including my past as a survivor of emotionally and physically abusive father. Sometimes I think I'm punishing my husband for the sins of my father. Anyway, your wide spectrum podcasts are meaningful and useful to me. Thank you for the great contribution to society. Well, thank you for those words. And thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. Let me try to pick apart this email, not pick you apart, but pick apart what's going on in your relationship. The first thing that you said is uh, he doesn't think he has any rules or he doesn't think rules of any kind apply to him. When I hear that, I think of something that uh, may not be pleasant to hear, but I think of antisocial personality disorder. I'm not a professional in that area and I'm not allowed to diagnose that, especially 
uh, on a podcast <laughs> when we haven't even met, but that's what, uh, what they used to call sociopaths, antisocial personality disorder. That's what sociopaths do. They, they don't care. They don't think that the rules apply to them. They don't view authority as their authority. So they do whatever they want. So there could be some personality characteristics of ASPD in him that uh, may need addressing. I don't know. Again, don't ask me. Ask a professional in that area. But uh, that is the first thing I think of. The rules don't apply to him. That means he doesn't care about the rules or probably the rule makers. I've met sociopathic people and that's exactly how they are. So that's just something to think about. I'm not trying to put you down a path that may not exist and I might be completely wrong. In fact, I'll kind of go down a, a road where I think I might be wrong about that. And that is when, when you said he puts his head in his shell like a turtle. He hides when you get angry. Now this, this is something I used to do. I used to put my head in the shell. I used to hide. I used to be silent. I used to withdraw because withdrawing was the only way I knew how to cope. That was my coping mechanism. So he could have a coping mechanism where he withdraws. Coping mechanisms are what we develop when we're children, typically, and um, they help us cope with the challenges that come along because as children, we don't know exactly how to deal with things, so we figure it out. And figuring it out is a survival mechanism. And um, when you develop a, a survival mechanism, it's to help you survive the moment because you don't know how dangerous it is. So the challenges that come along could be from a parent, could be from another family member, could be from a neighbor, and whatever. It could be from anything, anywhere. So we do our best to deal with that situation and process it. Uh, and this is called coping. How do I cope with this? This is something I talk about in my Healed Being program all the time with uh, emotionally abusive people that want to change. They don't want to do the emotionally abusive behavior anymore, so... They need new coping mechanisms. They need to know how to cope with things differently. If my friend or my loved one yells at me, how do I cope with that? Some people will withdraw. Some people will yell back even louder. Some people will hit, you know, hurt. And um, some people will just, who knows? There, there are different things that people do. Some people will get really tired and go to bed. It's just a, a way they cope so they can survive that moment. And so when you're a child and you don't have any life experience and then something happens and you don't have a reference on how to behave or how to act, you figure it out. You do something and then you find out if that something works. For me, it was also withdrawing. I better hide. If somebody's yelling, if somebody's drunk in my house, which happened a lot, if they're yelling downstairs and they're at the top of their lungs, they're screaming and they're kicking and they're throwing glass like drinking glasses. If they're that angry, I'm withdrawing. I'm hiding. And so as a kid, I realized, hey, that works. I survived. This is great. Now I can uh, do this behavior anytime that happens because I know it works for me. And if you never develop a different coping strategy, then you end up using the same one that you developed as a kid. And that's what happened to me. 
And so uh, when I grew up and I got into adult relationships and my partner or whoever started yelling or getting angry, I would withdraw. That's safe. That feels safe to me. And I wouldn't come back until it was safe to do so. So does that mean that somebody who does that has antisocial personality disorder? No, that's not necessarily true at all. It just means it's a component of coping. And it's quite possible that this person who wrote, that's all he's doing. The magic words for me when I said ASPD was uh, when you said he doesn't believe the rules apply to him. Could be narcissism too, but it's typically ASPD. But coming back to coping, this could be the way he copes. Well, it sounds like it is. Sounds like this is the way he copes, which tells you you have to work with that in the structure of his coping. His coping mechanism is hiding or withdrawing because he doesn't feel safe. Now, this is a tough area because if you are an equal adult in a relationship with another equal adult, meaning you both have independent, autonomous thinking, and you both know how to deal with the world as adults, then you, you'd hope that you could have a, an equal, balanced conversation where you both are able to express yourselves because you both trust each other and feel safe with each other. But where he's going is he doesn't feel safe, even if you're not intentionally aggressive. He may just not feel safe at all, so he withdraws. It's not a healthy coping mechanism because it doesn't help him deal with the problems of life. If he withdraws every time there's a problem, guess what doesn't get resolved? Almost everything. Almost everything doesn't get resolved because he's withdrawing. I was a, a genius at this. I used to withdraw easily. I would get so angry and I would withdraw. It wasn't that I was afraid of what I would do or say when I was angry. I was afraid what would happen to me if I got angry. As a child, if I got angry in front of an abusive alcoholic, what would happen to me? I didn't want to find out. I already knew that he was dangerous. Talking about my stepfather when I was growing up. He was dangerous, so I didn't want to find out what happened if I expressed myself. And to the person who wrote, your husband probably feels unsafe to express himself when you become agitated or angry. And that probably does come from something that happened to him in childhood. But here's the big problem with that is that you're not supposed to be his therapist. You're not supposed to be his coach. You can play those roles. Absolutely. I do sometimes in my relationship only when she asks me to. I try not to jump into a coaching role unless she asks me to because I want to be here with her having the relationship experience. Um, it sounds cold when I say it that way, but it's true. I, I, I want to be in the relationship. I don't want to have to think all the time about, hmm, I wonder where she's going with that. Let me analyze that. I don't want to be in coaching role all the time. I want to enjoy being a partner in a healthy, loving relationship. So this is why it's not always healthy to be the coach, to be the therapist, to present yourself as the people helper to your partner, because then you are stepping out of the relationship partner role or whatever relationship you're in, if that makes sense. The goal is to have the relationship experience with the person that you're with and not have to be their therapist or coach. But sometimes that happens. 
Sometimes if you want a relationship with somebody, you might have to step into that role because the relationship may not be sustainable if you don't. And this is the hard part. Will you be able to step into that role long enough to get through the difficult phase of the relationship healing and growing mainly due to what you are facilitating? I'm going to rephrase that. Don't worry. (laughs) Are you able to step into a role to help someone like that, a partner, a friend, a family member, to maintain the relationship long enough so that you can get through that phase, that phase where you are trying to help them through and help them learn a coping strategy that works for them and works for, quote, us, long enough for you to get past that so you can have a, a normal, healthy relationship again. The, the goal is to get through it so that you don't have to do it anymore. Can you get through being a therapist or a coach to someone you care about so that you can get through it and you don't have to do it anymore. Just for that small phase. I mean, you might have to do this multiple times throughout a relationship, but there's a small part of it that could take place where you are a therapist or a coach in your relationship. It involves stepping out of the relationship. Not, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) It involves stepping back from being completely connected with them. It involves seeing them more objectively from a distance where you aren't personally affected and triggered, which is very hard to do. If you have a history with someone, it is very hard not to uh, get stuck in your own stuff when you're trying to help someone else. So where am I going with this? The idea is if you want to maintain a relationship and you're willing to step into a people helper sort of role that you might have to do it from a small emotional disconnect. And that will help you help someone as if you aren't part of that relationship issue. It's, it's a challenge. It's even a challenge to explain. But if you can do it, and they're a willing participant in it, then what you end up with is a possible healing that could take place. Now, with all that said... With all that said, the person who wrote, let's just say that uh, we can agree that your husband's coping mechanism is to withdraw. He wants to feel safe. When he withdraws, if you were to choose to be the therapist, the coach, the uh, best friend that's not necessarily in the relationship in that moment, meaning you you take yourself out, get out of your own stuff, don't go in your own mental space and your emotional space, that has anything to do with the relationship and you see this from a distance, you see what's happening from the outside of the relationship and you can perhaps guide someone in a way or talk to someone in a way where you aren't personally affected, then you might be able to ask a question like, what do you need to feel safe right now? That's it. You might need to ask that question. They're in this coping state right now. They are trying to cope. They're in this space. And the question might be, what do you need to feel safe right now? That might help them open up or they may stay closed. Like this person who wrote, he may stay closed. He may not want to come out because he's practiced this for a very long time. 
and he learned it at a very young age when it was probably impressionable and imprinted in him and this is the way you're supposed to do it don't ever stray so if he is doing something that he feels like he's supposed to do because this is how you survive it may be hard to get him out and and again this isn't your job i shouldn't have to say well this is what you need to do you need to be the therapist or the coach and walk your loved one through it you shouldn't have to this is what therapists and coaches are for <laughs> they shouldn't be in the relationship as the other person in the relationship because it's uh, hard. It's too hard to deal with something that close to you or process it and work through it and help somebody else through it. Because what if they said, I hate when my partner does this and you're the partner. I hate when they say this and you're the one they're talking about. That's why it's hard to not get in your stuff, your own stuff. And so if you have the capability to step out of your existing relationship as the person that is a part of that relationship and see it from afar and see it objectively and talk about it objectively and even talk about yourself objectively, then you might be able to help someone through and improve a coping skill that they're using. I mean, probably not a good word, skill. It's just a strategy. If you can help them through their coping strategy to improve it, to change it so that they can be more present and are able to feel safer with you, then you might be able to get to a, a, a normalcy in the relationship that would drive it farther and progress more and maybe even strengthen the bond. But again, I, I have to emphasize that, first of all, it's, it's very hard to do this because you're involved, you're right in it with them. Secondly, it's not your job. It's not your job to be the therapist or the coach. And it, it actually might affect the, the relationship negatively because now someone sort of has a um, an upper hand on what happens and the other person might not take that well. Again, there has to be two willing participants here. And thirdly, there are other people that should do that. There really are other people that should do that, a third party that isn't so enmeshed or involved or at all really that they can look at two people and see what's going on from a distance or close in just looking at them just listening to them listening to how they communicate i used to do that all the time i did one-on-one -on -one coaching i used to do that all the time listen to two people talk and i'd say whoa 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 what you just said was hurtful and that other person didn't even say anything about it your, your partner whoever and i would help them understand how they're communicating in a way that was hurtful to each other if that was the case or unhealthy or unproductive and that was very helpful so this is why it's helpful to have a third party do this kind of stuff therapy is really good doing that kind of stuff but if you are going to try to do this if you want to figure out how you can work through this then it does i believe it does involve stepping out emotionally disconnecting a little bit you still care, you're just not in that space with them. You can still be somewhat empathetic, but not so much that you get sucked back into the drama or the dilemma. You don't want to get stuck in their coping strategy. You don't want to get stuck where they are. So I've already said one thing you can ask or say, which is what can I do or say to help you feel safer? And that might give you a response that will be helpful. 
But let's just say that they're not ready. They're really out there. They're, they're afraid and they're withdrawing or whatever they're feeling. Another thing you can do is say, look, I know you're withdrawing right now. And when you do this, it makes me feel a certain way. And I would like to share that with you, how I feel when you withdraw. So what you're doing is stepping into vulnerability and letting them know that when they withdraw, this is how I feel. I remember I did this when, or my wife did this to me when I was married. Uh, she said, when you withdraw like that, it makes me feel like you don't care about me. It makes me feel you don't love me. It makes me feel like, um, or what did she say? She said, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. And that really concerns me because you're just gone. And, um, she really highlighted something for me. I didn't change at that time because I still haven't figured out a lot of what was going on in my own life and why I had so many dysfunctions. So I wasn't changing and I was staying the same and she wasn't my coach. She wasn't my therapist. She was definitely helpful and, um, she was doing her best, but I still had a lot to work on. So I wasn't changing. This is why I'm telling you now there are ways to talk to somebody when they're in their coping strategy to help them feel safer enough to come back and express. I mean, it's not always going to happen. Some people will stay there and they also have uh, previous references to refer to that have happened. Previous experiences with you that have happened that made them realize that it, when you come back, you're going to be in a dangerous situation. So I better stay there. This isn't your fault. Maybe there's times when you were aggressive or they were aggressive and you had to do something to cope with that moment or whatever. And um, you didn't change because you didn't feel safe enough or you didn't come back because you didn't feel safe enough. So you stayed in that uh, state of mind or emotional state. And when you're there, it's hard to get back, especially if you are afraid or you have other thoughts that you haven't finished processing yet. And um, all kinds of things are going on in the brain at that time. So I'm sharing all this just to help this person who wrote regarding when her partner uh, hides and withdraws to protect himself, which I believe that's what he's doing is protecting himself. I mean, I guess he could say, I just don't want to be angry at her. So I'm withdrawing so I don't get angry. But from what it sounds like, it sounds like this is the way he copes, the way he gets through these challenges in his life so that he can survive. That's his survival mechanism. And if you know that he's currently coping this way and you want to try to help him out, become the coach or the therapist, you can say, hey, I know that you're in this state of mind right now, that you've, with, you've withdrawn and you feel safer there. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't feel safer there, but this is my assumption. I know that you've withdrawn and you feel safer there. But I want to let you know it's okay to come back and talk to me about this. And I'm ready to have a productive discussion about it. It may get you nowhere. But the whole goal when you're dealing with somebody in a coping state is to make them feel safe enough so that they don't have to rely on their old coping strategy to get through a challenge. If somebody's in a coping strategy and you can't get through to them, it's very possible that they are waiting for the safe moment to come back. And when it's safe and they come back, then everything is back to normal or quote back to normal. And I'm willing to bet that when he comes back, 
the person who wrote her husband, when he comes back, it's probably because of a series of events that happened. Maybe you stop talking about it. Maybe he sees your face has changed and it's no longer angry. Maybe you've gone on to do other things. Maybe he just needs a certain amount of time to come back. But a series of events, a series of circumstances have taken place so he feels safe enough to come back. And to know what those circumstances are may help you get him back sooner. And let me just stress this one more time. It's not necessarily your job to do that because it does require some extra steps. Like you should not have to baby someone. You should not have to coddle them. You should not have to treat them like a child or even a patient or a client. You should be able to uh, talk to a partner, a loved one, as if you were equals. Hey, why are you silent? I'm silent because of this. That should be the healthy, productive conversation that you should have, but a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people get stuck in that coping strategy and they can't get out. So coming back to what I was saying earlier, if you want to maintain a relationship and you want to try something, that might be what you want to do. You just have to remember they need to feel safe enough to come back out of that space. So if you act the same way every time they're doing their coping strategy, they're going to act the same way too. They're going to stay in that coping strategy until it's safe to come back. And talk about the perfect sponsor for today's episode, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online therapy. And I was talking about how we have uh, people in our lives that we could play that inner coach or therapist, but boy, it's that very difficult to do in a relationship because you're both in it. You both very likely need a perspective of a professional that can see the things going on that you can't see. Because sometimes we're in the fishbowl so long, we don't even realize we're in the fishbowl. And it's very helpful to have somebody who can look from the outside and see what's going on. This is what BetterHelp does. They're entirely online. They're designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if that therapist doesn't really work or you just don't vibe with them, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. We all know that sometimes we're faced with tough choices in life and the path forward isn't always clear. I remember in my 20s, I was depressed and I needed somebody to help me through it. And boy, today's options, better help. Oh my God, if I had better help then, things would have been so much easier and faster because I could have done it from home. I could have done it without even driving anywhere. It's just that easy. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. Go there today and get 10% off your first month. Now, that was just one part of this message that was written. So I'm going to continue picking this one apart or taking pieces and talking about them. Let's see. Uh, he said, doesn't think I'm the turtle when he gets mad. Um, he's just waiting for the storm to pass. Exactly. And I love him, but I'm not certain he has very high emotional intelligence. It's quite possible if somebody has dealt with a lot of issues, a lot of trauma when they were younger and they never addressed their own coping strategies, they never addressed what bothers them, their own emotional triggers, then uh, yes, they can 
have a deficit in emotional intelligence. And when they do, they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to express themselves and they don't know how to operate in the world of emotions. So in this case, he withdraws. So you might be right there. And it's just something that we have to work on. It's something that I always work on. I talk about it. I teach it. And I work on it all the time because thoughts come up. Emotional triggers happen. Thoughts that occur that I don't want in my head that make me upset, that make me angry. I have to process those things. And being somewhat emotionally intelligent helps you process those things. It helps you think about things in a way that uh, doesn't bring you down a downward spiral into sadness or anxiety or depression. Emotional intelligence helps you work through those things. And all it is, is just asking yourself questions. I mean, it's, it's a lot more than that. But for me, when I feel some sort of emotional trigger or upset, I just ask myself questions like, why am I getting upset? Why am I getting angry? Why am I getting jealous? Why am I so <laughs> infuriated by what that person said? I'm going to ask myself questions and I'm going to continue asking myself questions until I feel a tiny bit better or until I resolve it, or just to reflect upon it, to not let myself go without talking about it. You know, it, you want to think about this stuff. You want to ask yourself these questions. That to me was what emotional intelligence is. You're just asking yourself questions about your emotional state. I want to know why I'm angry. Well, I'm angry because he cut me off. Yeah, but why does that make you angry? Well, it makes me angry because my life was in danger. Okay, so your life was in danger. Why does that make you angry? Well, that's a stupid question. <laughs> exactly, but you need to address it if you want to address the emotional state and you want to get out of that emotional state. Well, if my life was, life was threatened, that means I could have died. He could have ran me off the road. And then I might ask myself, well, how is that a big problem? <laughs> why is that a big deal? And then I'll get angry with myself. What do you mean? Why is that a big deal? You know, this is self-coaching. Why, why is that a big deal? Because I might get hurt or dead. Why is it a problem if you're hurt or dead? What? You know, this is what I do to myself. This is how I process stuff. And I get to some pretty deep level, sometimes philosophical, sometimes enlightening things. And then I ask myself, well, when was the first time I felt like this? I always like to know the first time I felt like something. When was the first time my life or I felt threatened? You know, my life felt threatened. And I'll think back and I'll ask myself questions about that time. I'll ask myself questions about why I believe certain things. Why do I believe getting hurt is a bad thing? Again, it sounds like a dumb question, but I want to know that I want to know these things. I think that's what helps create and strengthen our emotional intelligence is knowing the deeper meanings instead of just assuming we know. Because what we do is often assume, well, if somebody runs me off the road, of course I'm going to be angry. But do we ever think about why we're really angry? Well, of course I think about why I'm angry because I would get run off the road and that's going to increase my insurance if I get into an accident and I'm going to, you know, maybe get hurt or lose my life, of course I'm going to be angry. Yeah, but why do those things really make you angry? And this is called drilling down, or at least I call it drilling down into the deeper meaning underneath 
the emotions. That's part of exploring your emotional state and exploring why you believe the things you do and why you get upset about things. And a lot of it's obvious. It feels obvious. But believe me, when you start drilling down into this stuff, you find deeper meaning and you understand it more. And it, it gives you some sense of control of your emotional state because you realize, well, I know I'm getting angry in this moment. It's kind of a stoic approach. I know I'm getting angry in this moment because this happened when I was a kid and I felt like I wasn't going to get love and support. And I felt like if I didn't get love and support that uh, I would be alone and feeling alone feels like I'm going to die. And, you know, you have this chain of events that happened in your life and these chain of emotions that are connected to these events that really make you understand where everything comes from inside you. I mean, you'll probably never fully understand it. If you do, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. So that's a, a great place to be. And I don't think I'm there. <laughs> I don't think I know everything. And so what ends up happening is I constantly question, constantly question the emotions that I don't like. I don't like feeling this. Let me question it. I'm going to drill down into those emotions. So that's at least mostly how I feel about how to develop and strengthen your emotional intelligence. And what's funny is that I've been doing the show almost 10 years and I've never really talked about how to develop and strengthen your emotional intelligence. <laughs> maybe, maybe once. But everything I talk about is about developing and strengthening your emotional intelligence. I just haven't dealt with it directly straight on like that. Um, or at least called it that. Everything I talk about is about developing and strengthening your emotional intelligence. Anyway, coming back to this email, she said, how does emotional intelligence correlate with other kinds of intelligence? Um, <laughs> that's a tough question. That's a very tough. How does it correlate? I would say that, uh, if you're a brilliant mathematician, that you could be dumb as rocks with emotional intelligence, <laughs> but that's not always hand in hand. You could be a brilliant mathematician and a, and brilliant with emotional intelligence. You could be both. I don't often see hand in hand stuff. I don't often see correlation. I had a client that was brilliant. I mean, brilliant, went to the top schools and he didn't know how to navigate certain emotions and navigate certain relationship issues because relationships always contain emotions. And he wasn't very good at that at all, but he was brilliant academically and brilliant in many other ways. He was a great guy. I loved talking to him. And I always felt a little dumber <laughs> when we had conversations because he was so smart. But he saw me the same way when it came to emotional intelligence. I mean, this is my belief and we've kind of talked about it back and forth, but he saw me like that. He didn't know how to handle some of this stuff. He didn't know how to deal with some emotional state. He didn't even know about boundaries. There were certain things that we had to talk about that he had no clue about because he studied things in a different direction. He thought about things in a different direction. He went down that path. I went down this path. He's smart. I'm this emotional guy. <laughs> so we have two different approaches to life. And I got more intelligent emotionally and he got more intelligent and everything else in the world. And so we complimented each other in a lot of ways because he could do things that I couldn't and I could help him with things that he didn't uh, have a grasp on. So the point is that 
uh, I don't know if there's a correlation at all. You either reflect on your emotional state or you don't. Does it help to be smarter? I think it helps to be curious. I think it helps to be very curious about your own emotions. Why am I happy right now? Why would you ask that question? A lot of people don't ask that question. They know why they're happy. But when you ask it, it suddenly becomes a quest for emotional intelligence. Why am I happy? Well, let's figure this out. What makes me happy right now? What, what are the circumstances that are making me happy right now? And maybe you don't want to explore that. If you're already happy, you probably don't have to explore that and there's no issue. But I think it's important, if you want to be more emotionally intelligent, to ask yourself about your emotional state. Happy, sad, good or bad, doesn't matter. That's how I do it. That's how I do it. I don't always think about it. I'm not always in that state of mind. But when I first started coaching like 15 years ago, I had to think about this stuff. I had to think about all the reasons we do behaviors and all the reasons we might be in a certain emotional state and why we do the things we do. And so that it really helped to reflect upon my own emotional state and understand myself as much as possible so that I can understand others. We all, we're all driving around in very similar machines. So it is helpful to understand yourself so you can understand others. Anyway, that's my answer with the correlation with other kinds of intelligence. So the next thing that this person said was he was turned loose as a kid and had virtually no boundaries. And this is how he acts now. So here's an interesting thought. I was actually turned loose as a kid and had no boundaries as well. My mom did not care. She cared, but she did not care <laughs> if I walked miles and miles to the bowling alley. When I used to live in this neighborhood, there was a bowling alley in different directions and I went in different directions by myself at around, I don't know, 10 years old. I mean, imagine allowing your kid at 10 years old to walk miles and miles through the streets and get to a place in a city by themselves and do their own thing. That's what happened to me. I had no boundaries. My mom just let me do anything. I'm going to go walk to the bowling alley. It's three miles away. She didn't, I want to say she didn't care. She loved, she loved me. She cared, but she never enforced that I had to stay home or even come home. She just let me do anything I want. And so I grew up without restriction. I grew up without the feeling that I might be doing something wrong or going against what she wants because it was never conveyed to me what she wanted. I just was allowed to do anything I wanted. The difference maybe between me and someone like this, and this might come back to the antisocial personality disorder, is that when I had no boundaries, I still had empathy. Now, what does that mean? That means that if I did something wrong and my mom was disappointed or sad because I did something wrong, that affected me big time. I remember one time I, um, what was it? I, um, rode a skateboard in the house. I was again, like 10 or 11. And my mom said, don't ride the skateboard in the house. I mean, she did have that boundary. <laughs> she said, I'm telling you, you shouldn't ride that skateboard in the house. Don't do it. And I, as a kid with no boundaries, I'm thinking, well, you know, no big deal. I'm going to ride. And we had this ledge in our house or stair that went into what we called the green room which is basically the sunroom. And the green room had a uh, giant sliding glass window. And I'm riding my plastic skateboard and I'm like going over the ledge. 
I'm riding it and going over the ledge and landing, going over the ledge and landing several times. So I'm thinking, I don't care what my mom says. I'm going to do it because it's safe and I'm not getting hurt. I thought she was worried I would get hurt, but um, I wasn't getting hurt. So I kept doing it. And then I rode over the ledge and I slipped. I didn't get hurt, but that skateboard smashed through the sliding glass door, or at least one of the windows. And oh my God, it was just, it was a loud smash. And I thought, oh crap, I'm in trouble. Again, she never really disciplined me. I mean, before, before that, she never disciplined me. So I didn't think I was going to get smacked or anything like that. But boy, I was afraid of her response. I was afraid of her reaction to that. And I remember taking off my, I think I had a blue denim coat on. And I tried to hide the hole the, the skateboard created through the window. And she comes out and says, what was that? What was that? And there I am hiding it feeling awful of what I just did after she told me not to do it. I don't remember what happened after that. I know she didn't like get too angry, but she was upset. She was like, why did you do that? I told you not to do that. I told you not to do that. So I didn't get disciplined. I didn't get punished or anything like that. There were really no, no disciplinary structure in our house, but I felt awful that she was upset with me. So that might be empathy. That might be a fear that I'm hurting someone or people pleasing could have been my people pleasing fear that I won't be liked or loved. So I had other emotions and feelings going on at that time, but that feeling of not being liked or loved and fearing that uh, she will be upset, feeling, feeling that she would be upset or disappointed in me stuck with me. And because it did, I became more of a rule follower. I became more of someone who, even though there were no rules necessarily in my house, I certainly did not want to disappoint and I certainly did not want to feel uh, unloved. And so I think that drove my own life and how I lived my life from that point on. And of course, I turned into a dysfunctional people pleaser later on in life, which I had to heal from as well. But that was what drove me and my behaviors growing up. Now, when it comes to this email and this person who said that uh, the rules don't apply to him, she said that uh, the rules don't seem to apply to him or he believes the rules don't apply to him. That leads me back to ASPD, antisocial personality disorder, that could be present or at least elements of it could be present in him because if he didn't feel bad as a kid when he did things wrong because he had no boundaries as well, his response might not have been, I don't care how people think of me. I don't care about getting in trouble. It doesn't matter to me. And that's why he felt freedom to do anything he wanted as he was growing up. So that's possible too. And again, these are just guesses. This would have to be professionally diagnosed. But it kind of makes me go back to that ASPD thing because it if that's the case, then it's important to know if you really are dealing with somebody with ASPD because you may not be able to get through to them. You may not be able to convince them and they may not feel bad when you're suffering. And if they don't feel bad when you're suffering, you might not be able to do anything about it because sociopathy is a personality disorder. And because of that, we're told that people are born with it. And I don't know enough about it to really get into the details. And I definitely am not qualified to talk about it, but there is an opinion in there somewhere that can help you maybe research that more if that helps. And so him having no boundaries as a kid and me having no boundaries as a kid 
we could handle those things differently because of how we're born, how our brain is wired, or how we grew up, how we learned to cope, all that stuff. All that's relevant. Now, let me get to the rest of this email. Um, she said that she was a survivor of emotionally and physically abusive father. And sometimes I think I'm punishing my husband for the sins of my father. That's an interesting comment. I'm not saying that you are or you aren't. Maybe there are aspects of your personality that are coming out that are uh, doing that to him. But if he is everything that we kind of talked about today, then it probably wouldn't matter how you treated him unless you were the type of person that fully submitted to everything that he wanted you to do. That's my opinion. If you are the type of person that is willing to submit to everything that he wants you to do, then maybe you'll get along, but it would still be difficult. And since we're not really wired to be submissive to everything that somebody wants us to do because we're different people, you'll probably still be unhappy. So again, these are just opinions and my perception of things. And um, could you be punishing your husband for the sins of your father? I don't know. You didn't give me any of your specific behaviors. But I will say this, uh, sometimes when we are abused as children, we will seek out certain types of people in our lives because we feel comfortable around them. So if you had any sense of comfort when you met your husband, it's quite possible, maybe probable, that you felt more comfortable because he had the type of qualities that you remember in your father, even though your father put you through a lot of hell, it sounds like, and I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. But sometimes when we don't know anything outside that box we grew up in, we believe that this person that we've just met might be safe because there's a familiarity to it. And familiarity feels uh, more comfortable. I'm more comfortable with this person, even though they, they display some qualities. And those qualities might be the good qualities that your dad had that maybe you saw every now and then because when he wasn't hurting you, he had these other qualities that made you feel good inside. Or they could be your own perceptions or misperceptions that when you were a kid, you believed you saw these good qualities in your dad but they really weren't good qualities, but because they weren't being, uh, your dad wasn't being hurtful at that time, they felt like good qualities. So there could be a, a number of things going on there. And that would be something that you'd want to talk to somebody about or reflect on on your own. But it's important to remember that uh, sometimes we will pick out people in our lives, we'll choose them to be our partner, to be our friends, because they possess certain qualities that we're familiar with even though we don't realize some of those qualities could be indicative of hurtful behaviors. So if your dad had some good qualities, which I'm sure he did, when he wasn't hurting you, you probably saw some good qualities. And if you didn't see those qualities, you were probably on a quest to feel loved, to feel worthy, and you were doing everything you can to get those things from him. And sometimes when we're on that quest, to get certain feelings from someone else, we'll see things that aren't always there just so we can feel it. And that's quite possible what happened in your past, maybe. Quite possible what happened in your relationship uh, of this with this person. You might see things that really aren't there 
because you want to feel it inside of you. So you kind of put it there. I don't know if that's true for you or not. I'm just putting that out there as a thought. And if that thought is helpful, then I hope it helps with your healing. So I think that's all I really have to say about this email. Thank you for writing that email. So sorry you're going through this. I really do hope that some of my words can help you reflect on your own situation and help you figure things out. Thanks again for writing and thanks for joining me for another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I'm just going to read you the patrons of the week. Wanda, Chris, Kelly, Dilek, Victoria, Maria, and Sally, and uh, a new patron. I know this person, Brian. Thank you for your uh, support. Wow, that is, I didn't expect to see your name there. Uh, this is kind of a personal comment to Brian. You didn't have to become a patron. It's been great connecting with you in other places, and I'm so glad that you are uh, getting into a better space inside yourself. So thank you, Brian, and thank you, Wanda, Chris, and Kelly Delac. Everyone that's in the patron program, I appreciate all of you, and I'm very grateful for your support. Thank you again. And if you are getting value from the show and you would like to give back, Head over to moretob.com and you'll have options there. Thank you again, patrons. I am super grateful. And I mentioned it earlier, loveandabuse.com. That's where I talk about relationship challenges, the issues that we go through, difficulties in relationships, communication issues in relationships, control and manipulation, and even emotional abuse in relationships. If you are in any type of relationship or have somebody that you care about that you're just having a challenge with, Listen to my podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. And if you discovered that you're the difficult one in the relationship and you want to change that about yourself, head over to healedbeing.com and I have a very comprehensive, very effective program that um, I, I really poured my heart into to make sure that it covered almost every aspect of what you're dealing with. And uh, that is a, a great way to improve your relationship when you've discovered that maybe you're doing these things to the relationship and you want to Stop doing those things and even show up as the best version of yourself. That's over at healedbeing.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And again, thanks for joining me today. Uh, emotional intelligence was a great subject to talk about because it is something I rarely bring up on this show directly. It's always an indirect way. And I think it's important to understand perhaps some of the nitty gritty behind the reasons I talk about certain things in the way I talk about them and why I give the suggestions I do because I believe when you become more emotionally intelligent you are able to handle so much more in life and this is what I've learned in my own life is that when we um, are able to deal with and process our emotional state as huge challenges come our way or even minor challenges come our way we're able to handle them better next time. And this is why it's so important to remember if you're in a depressed state or you're feeling like you want to hurt yourself or you're feeling suicidal, you know, some of the really, really tough states that it's temporary. It really is. No matter how long you've been going through it, it is temporary because there is a path through that state. There is a path out of that state. A lot of it is self-questioning. Some of it is therapy. A lot of it is reflection. There's so much to learn about yourself that sometimes you just don't know until you ask yourself certain questions and reflect on certain things and really drill down into some of the, the meanings behind and below all the stuff going on in your life and all these thoughts and emotions that you have. If you are willing to just keep 
drilling down and drilling into some of the deeper stuff, or at least making it deeper. Don't keep it on the surface. Make it deeper. Get your feet wet. Dive right into it. Because what you end up learning is why you operate the way you do. Oh my God, it was when I was six years old and that's what happened and no wonder I'm like this today. That's the kind of stuff that you can come up with. Or maybe nothing happened to you as a kid and you developed some sort of belief that uh, caused problems on the, on the way to adulthood. Or maybe you learned something as an adult. Maybe you were traumatized as an adult. You know, there's all kinds of things, but we have to be willing to drill down and learn about ourselves. And if you feel like I've done all that, then I highly recommend uh, that you listen to whatever episodes that you believe apply to you, because I've been doing this for 10 years and I've talked about nearly everything when it comes to our emotional state. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, click on all episodes and just you have a little search field there and just type in what you're feeling or type in what you're dealing with because you're going to find episodes that you may not have heard. I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I'm putting it all out there. I, I try to put everything I know on the air and I feel pretty darn good in myself. So I'm doing something right because I came from a place of feeling pretty awful about myself and feeling, feeling pretty awful inside. I have been depressed. I have been suicidal. At least I had those thoughts. I've had many, many issues in my life that I needed to process. I need to heal from. I've ruined so many relationships. I've gone through a lot. I've been down and out. I have been the people pleaser. I've been the conflict avoider. I've been all these things, dysfunction after dysfunction. And so to get through that stuff, it takes some time. It takes some processing. It takes some reflecting. And I'm just, I just want you to get to a point where you feel good in yourself too. And I tell you what, a lot of people might say, well, yeah, but life circumstances are really putting me down right now. And yeah, I totally get that. That still happens to me. Life circumstances will make me feel bad. But the goal is to understand yourself so much that when you are down, you're able to get back up. That's the whole point, I think. It's just to get back up, keep moving forward. Because the negative emotional states that we're, we can be in, they should be temporary. I mean, there are some things we may not ever get over, but we shouldn't be so weighed down by those emotional things that we can't even operate, that we can't even feel some sense of happiness sometimes. I, no, I never want you to be in that space. So always keep an open mind that there are more answers that you just haven't discovered yet. Maybe you'll find it on this show. Maybe you'll find it in a book in the library. Maybe you'll find it from a best friend, from a parent, oh, maybe not always parents, but <laughs> somebody that out there that really cares about you. Somebody out there that really wants to see you happy. And maybe they'll have that one word or that one sentence that changes everything. You never know where it's going to come, but it will come. It always comes. You just have to know that it's coming. And sometimes it takes a long time and you think, well, this is never coming. Why bother? That's the three feet from gold analogy. You're three feet from gold. All you have to do is dig a little bit more and you're there. And sometimes that three feet from gold takes years to dig. And I hope it doesn't take years for you, but it will come. It will come. So hang in there. Keep an open mind. That's how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want always take steps to grow and evolve 
You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 